welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch. I'm the senior pastor here at LOPC, and it is my privilege and honor to be able to welcome you. Whether you are with us in person or on the live stream, we are absolutely overjoyed that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we offer a warm welcome to you. We hope that as you came in, you were greeted very warmly and handed one of our wonderful goodie bags that contains some fun, I'd say parting gifts, but it's supposed to be welcoming gifts. Fun welcoming gifts gives you the opportunity to get to know us a little bit, and hopefully we'll have the opportunity in weeks and months to come to get to know you as well. We are thrilled that you are here and that you've chosen to visit with us this morning. If you're on the end of the aisle, there should be friendship pads that are somewhere. Where are they? I see people looking below. That's good. They're in your chairs. And so if you would pull them out, sign that friendship pad, and pass that down to your friend, to your neighbor, uh, we would love to have the opportunity uh, to get to know you a little bit better. So I've been in Georgia now just short of two years. I didn't know we got snow here. Now, maybe I'm mistaken, but when I went out to my car this morning, it had three inches of this yellow stuff. And it looked like, so I was kind of like, am I back in Philadelphia and New York again? I've got to get my shovel and do this. Now, here's what that means. That means you all have to put up with me this morning, sounding like a Mack truck has run over me. Okay, I don't have COVID. I'm not sick. I feel pretty good but my head feels like it's this big, and not from the normal ego and pride I always have to repent of. So if you hear me <clears throat> in the microphone, and especially on the live stream, I'm just going to beg for grace this morning as we do this and get through this together. Uh, allergies, yes, it's that time of year. So you all will pray me through this, I hope, right? And we'll, we'll go from there. We have several different announcements of some things going on. The first thing, I'm super excited in terms of this. Where is my new assistant and my good friend, the Reverend Mike Palumbo? Mike, where are you? There you are. Today is Mike's first official Sunday with us. Are Whitney and Ellie back there with you? They're, in the, they're doing the nursery thing. There we go. We put them ahead to volunteer right off the bat. We got, we got to love that, but welcome, Mike. His installation as assistant pastor will be two weeks from today, the 19th of March, during the 1030 morning service, and that's where we will have a commission from Presbytery come and install Mike as LOPC's assistant pastor, so we're very, very excited in terms of that. In terms of uh, youth and children's ministry, we have a family ministry kickoff night planned for you. The date, so for now, I'll give you more details later. It's Wednesday evening, March the 29th. It will be from 6 to 7.30. This is if you have kids, if you volunteer with, this is children, youth, nursery, anything, if you're interested, if you like kids, if you put up with kids, if you've heard of kids before. Are you getting it? You're invited to come on out. Travis and Ellen will be sharing some of their vision for children's ministry, for youth ministry, and we want to support that and see where we can plug in. And Susan Atkins is looking at with me because she knows she's next. <laughs> Speaking of children's ministry, 
close to my size, which, which yeah, helps. this will work. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna ask you some questions. I have three questions for you. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because I know some of y'all like to raise your hand. So if your answer is yes, just raise your eyebrows. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you pray? Do you like children and believe that they are important to God? Okay, if your answers, if your eyes, eyebrows went up three times, then you might want to consider being a prayer partner for our children. We're going to have an adult pray for one of our covenant children here at LOPC. Any child from womb through high school age will be matched up, and the adult will get to know the child and fervently pray for them. Children today face so many challenges, and some of them are much more than what we faced when we were growing up. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's after our children because they are the future church. It's Christ's bride, and so he'll go after what he can. And so we need to support them in prayer. God has entrusted us with the responsibility and privilege for praying for those children. And God has been faithful to us. He is faithful, and he will continue to be faithful to us. So let us be faithful to God and to our children by continually petitioning God on their behalf. There is an announcement in the bulletin about prayer partners. has much more detail than what I just said. And um, I'll have sign-up sheets after church. I'll be in the narthex to pass them out for those of you who would be interested in doing that. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Susan shared with you one of the ways we can be on mission here locally, here within LOPC and within our covenant community. We are very excited to have Dan and Rebecca Gregor be with us this morning, and they are about how we can be on mission globally, specifically in the country of Slovakia. And so Dan's going to come forward and give us a bit of an update. Yeah, I was speaking with someone uh, between the Sunday school hour and, and the worship hour about being, being on mission globally. And it, uh, it's, it's interesting. I know I'm in Slovakia. It is a different place, but, but we're on mission locally in our neighborhood right there in, in Slovakia. So there's supposed to be some slides coming up. I'll just trust God that that is. Um, my wife and I um, and our eight children have been in Slovakia since... Uh, 2007, and you all have been partners with us since the very beginning, and we are incredibly grateful uh, for your partnership with us. Um, just a few uh, weeks before I came back to Slovakia, or back to the United States, I was sitting with a neighbor of mine, his name is Milan, and we were sitting in a coffee shop in the morning uh, before work, and um, he was asking me, so what are you going to do when you go back to Slovakia for, um, you know, back, back to the U.S. For, for a year? And I said, well, you know, my mission organization has outlined that I'm supposed to um, visit our churches, our supporting churches and our, and our, our, our supporters, uh, attend mission conferences, raise financial support, recruit uh, anybody we need, and rest. And so, uh, but I said, you know, one thing I'm excited about doing is when we go back is, is raising money to, to, to get a building where we can relocate our church, where we can meet as a church. And he goes, huh. And he pointed to this building, which was across the street outside the window of this cafe, and he said, that's what I think of when I think of church. It's a place you go once a week, and the, and the rest of the week you do what you want to do. 
You know, that's how I was raised. But for you and Rebecca, and for Mima and Lotso and other people from our church, he's like, for you guys, it's different. It's every day of the week for you. And I, I said, you're right, Milan, it is every day. That's the difference between going to church and being the church. It's the difference between a religion about God and a relationship with God. And this is one of many conversations I've, I've had with Milan, but in this particular case, I, he nodded his head, and I, I saw a goosebumps go up his arm, and he says, yeah, I can see that. And that she just, he got one more piece of the gospel picture that one day we hope to be complete, and he bent his knee uh, to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So can you go to the next slide? This is Milan, and this is my Slovak pastor, Juraj. Juraj and his wife, Zuzana, are right here in the front row with us. Uh, they are here in the U.S., uh, to um, uh, share their ministry uh, alongside of us, and they're going to be doing some traveling uh, for the rest of this month. Um, but what's cool is that while we're away for a year, Yurai and his wife are in our home, um, deepening those relationships with our neighbors, with people like Milan and his wife, and continuing the ministry of hospitality that we do to outreach into our community. Go to the next slide. Our, um, our neighbors have picked up on this idea and decided they wanted to have a party, do some hospitality, so they stole my smoker and wheeled it, <laughs> wheeled it down the street uh, to, um, to another neighbor's house and, and, and had, a, had a good time. Um, so they're, they're catching on to that. So this is our family. We have uh, eight girls and one lucky boy. They are, oh, did I say that wrong? Eight girls, seven girls, seven girls. Seven girls and one lucky boy. And... <laughs> Um, the oldest is 23, the youngest is 8. Uh, and they are a vital part of our ministry because they're bringing, our, our home is a, has, is a, has a, a door that just, it should be a revolving door because it just opens and closes so much. Um, but they're bringing people into our home and we're, we're, we're bringing our neighbors into our home as well. So, go to the next slide. So, we are in Slovakia. Quick geography lesson where is Slovakia because things change. Uh, Slovakia is sandwiched between Poland to the north and Hungary to the south. And we have on the west is the Czech Republic, Czechia, and Austria. And you may have heard of our eastern neighbor. It's called Ukraine. And a lot of our ministry um, was ongoing. And then we got some extra work uh, added on top of that with the refugee crisis and the war that was happening next door. So go to the next slide. Our vision is to plant ten church. Uh, our vision is to plant churches so that all in Slovakia can hear the gospel. And the reason I say all in Slovakia is because there are Slovaks and there are also Roma. And the Roma are an impoverished and despised minority group throughout Central Europe um, and specifically in Slovakia. So our, so our mission is twofold. It's to support our national, the national, our national partners and their denomination and their strategy to plant 10 churches in 10 years. And we also want to see a healthy house church in every Roma community. And we're working in one Roma... Let's go to the next slide. Um, so, but to do that, for both cases, we need, we need leaders. We need elders. This is Yorai uh, and the elders of our church and their, their wives and their kids. Uh, this is our, our dining room table in our home. Glad it's being used. Um, go to the next one. And then we also need to raise leaders for the next generation, for the youth. And one way that we as a family and as, as our church reaches out into the community is through English camp. 
Um, kids learn English in school, but the parents really value their kids learning English, and to have a camp that their kids can go to with native speakers um, is, is of great value to them. And we're, so we're raising up this next generation of leaders through opportunities to serve in the community like English Camp. And it's also not just an outreach to the kids who go to the camp, but also to the helpers. Because some of the helpers are our kids, some of the helpers are kids from our youth group, but a lot of the helpers who come are their friends and their classmates who aren't yet believers. And they're seeing kids who uh, are their classmates, are their friends, their peers, who are fun, who are outgoing and energetic, but who love God. And when we're doing the preparation for English camp, they're hearing their friends pray for the campers. They're hearing their kids pray for um, other people. And they're getting this idea that, wow, God is a relationship with God is something that we need to consider. And this is something that we've seen fruit from um, over, the, over the years. So the other aspect of our ministry is, in, is working with the Roma. And we want to see a healthy house church for every Roma community. And we need, again, leadership. Leadership is key. Um, Yorai now has a, a, um, an assistant pastor who is working toward his, his ordination in the Roma community. He is a Roma guy. He didn't finish um, high school. Um, and the guys that we're training up as, to be elders also didn't finish high school. But these are guys who the Holy Spirit has, 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 is changing. And has, 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 God has called to themselves, and they are passionate about serving their community in their context. So, next slide. Um, this, is a, this is a quote um, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. It takes some time to, to read, but this really does put, help you understand where the Roma are, where they come from, and what, um, how, how hard it is for change to happen there. So, it says, you can put someone in a situation that is so dire there's virtually no escape from it. I work with people for whom things around them have collapsed so badly there's just no fixing it. You fix one thing and two other things break. You fix those and three other things break. There's just no bottom. And those are often families that have had multi-generational problems, deeply rooted, the whole community is pathologized, the entire family structure is demolished. These are people who don't have any marketable skills and haven't for generations. The whole situation is complicated by drug and alcohol abuse and heavily biologically influenced insanity of one form or another and usually conjoint with relatively low cognitive ability. It's just hell no matter which way you turn. And add to that the cultural aspect of the Roma that you only think about today. You don't think about tomorrow. They don't have the, the idea and the concept of, of, of the future. There's just today. Uh, and so it's the only, the only thing that changes people, whether you have a lot or a little, is the gospel. It's the gospel, it's, it's, it's the message that Christ died for your sins. He, and he alone, is the one who changes. So go to the next slide. And so when we think about a little boy like this who has fetal alcohol syndrome, who's underdeveloped, where is the hope for a child like this, his alcoholic parents or his, or his, his other siblings? It's the gospel. So, and so um, I'm going to finish with this story. The woman um, who's standing with the yellow shirt um, her name is Helena. Helena um, had a traumatic, uh, abusive upbringing. Uh, she was widowed at the age of 22, 23. Um, the kindest way that I can describe her is when I first met her, she was, she was feral. She was looking down, just trying to find food, trying to find wood where she could, that she could um, um, to, to cook her food and heat her home uh, and care for her two small girls. 
Um, but she was brought in to a Christian woman's home, uh, a Roma woman, who already had nine people living in her two-room, we're talking two-room house, uh, brought a two, three more people into her home, uh, loved on her, the church, the Roma church loved on her. She became a believer. She, was, she learned how to care for herself, care for her daughters, cook and clean, and now she's living on her own with her, with her mother-in-law um, in, a, in a little house that another gentleman gave her a room that another gentleman gave her who recently became a believer and that was just the fruit so it's just God working in so many different lives and seeing it just compound a domino is is really quite amazing so go to the next slide and so one one minister that we do have that Rebecca and Zuzana oversee is a is an intervention preschool for Roma kids where they can learn Slovak language before they go to school Otherwise, they, they only speak Romani. There is no such thing as Slovak as a second language. Uh, classes for kids to catch up. Uh, so Roma kids would, would go, they would fail, they'd get put in the back of the class, and they would never continue beyond that. But these women from our church, this is their ministry, and they're passionate about it. They're passionate about training these kids um, in Slovak, but using Bible stories and Bible songs and uh, to teach them Slovak so that they can... Um, succeed in school, but hopefully as they've learned how to be learners, they can learn about God. And that is, our, that is our biggest desire. So, last one. So again, our vision is to plant churches so that all in Slovakia can hear the gospel, and we want to plant 10 churches in 10 years with our national partner and see a healthy house church for every Roma community. So, thank you for your partnership. Let's commit ourselves as part of their work and partnership to praying for Dan and Rebecca, for Uri and Jazana, and for the work that they're doing. What an exciting work. What a bold vision. I love that vision of 10 churches in 10 years. That is exciting. Friends, as we prepare our hearts now for worship, as we hear Amy play the prelude, let's prepare to focus our minds on the cross to abide in him and to love Jesus and celebrate his grace this morning.
call to worship this morning comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. And Father, we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would join with us now, that we may exalt you and praise you and magnify you and glorify you. Fill this house with your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing, Be Thou My Vision.
we confess our sins this morning, our need of confession comes from the wisdom literature. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. One of the things that's being spoken of there is anything that we do. We think, oh, I just committed this sin, or I just did this error, or this behavior. But the Proverbs, the wisdom literature is teaching us that there's always a motivational drive behind it. That motivational drive comes from our heart. And so the wisdom literature says, keep your heart. Watch those drives with all vigilance, with all attention. Pay strict attention to what's going on, the energy, the dynamics of your heart. And so, friends, let's take a few moments to personally ask God to search our hearts. You know, I need to always search my heart and kind of say, God, what am I doing because I want to be liked? What am I doing because I may be doing a very, very good thing, but that motivational drive might be I want somebody to like me or I want approval or I want people to be happy with me. Now, that's my struggle. See, that's why I get paid this. I have to share my vulnerabilities with you. But now I'm challenging you. What is your struggle? None of us are unique. We all have issues, and they come from our heart. So ask the Lord to search out your heart. And in a few moments, we will pray to the Lord together in a corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Let us pray together. Almighty God, who does freely pardon all who repent and turn to him, now fulfill in every contrite heart the promise of redeeming grace, forgiving all our sins, and cleansing us from an evil conscience through the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And friends, receive and embrace the assurance of pardon. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We will obtain mercy because of the death of Jesus Christ, which was vindicated in his resurrection. God's divine yes upon the work of Christ, reconciling us to God, cleansing us from within. Let's stand and sing together our song of praise this morning, Because He Lives.
I didn't mistake the calendar. I know today is not Easter Sunday, but you do realize we can sing resurrection songs on days other than Easter Sunday, right? I'm going to turn things topsy-turvy around here a little bit. I do believe that we do celebrate the Lord's resurrection every single Lord's Day because we need to be reminded that death does not get the final word. Death is Christ's final enemy, the enemy he still has to put under his feet as a footstool, but it is not the final word, resurrection is. And that means as we pray, as we pray for the Roma people, and as we pray for Slovakia, as we pray for our lives, our families, our friends, our neighbors, we need to be in prayer that they know the only hope that there is, and that is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then I will lead us in a time of pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, you said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Your word has told us that since then we have been already, in a sense, raised with Christ. Let us seek the things above. Let us have our minds and our hearts seeking after the life of heaven and seeking to display the life of heaven on earth. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for one another, our ministry here locally, our ministry globally. Lord, we pray for Dan and Rebecca, their family, for Uri and Josanna and their ministries. We pray for the renewal of the gospel amongst the Roma people, amongst the Slovak people. We pray for many to come to Christ. We pray through the ministries of hospitality and discipleship and small groups and life-on-life work and the raising of leaders that many will be raised up and that maybe not even just 10 churches, 15 or 20 churches, 25 churches will be started. We pray for a revival. We pray for the Word of God to go forward there. We ask, Father, for these leaders, that you would protect them. We know that there is a spiritual battle and spiritual warfare, and we know that the enemy does not want the gospel ministry to taking back enemy territory. And so we ask that you would protect them, their health, their families, their children. Lord, we ask that you would raise up their finances, grant them support, and grant them not just financial support, but physical, emotional relational, may they know that they are not alone. May they be undergirded by the strength of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for the ministry of grace and the ministry of the gospel here in and through LOPC. Lord, we thank you that on this day we celebrate Mike and Whitney and Ellie joining with us. We pray for their ministries to come. We ask, Father, that as we move together as a staff team, as a leadership team, elders and deacons and ministry leaders, that, Father, you would renew, revitalize, and revive us. 
That resurrection would get the final word here at Lake Oconee. That relationships would come together. That you would unify us. That we would think more about the gospel than we would our preferences. That we would leave our agendas at the door. We pray for a spiritual awakening. And we pray that you would revive us in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we continue to worship, we pray for those who are hurting. We pray for those who have suffered loss. We pray we have memorial services coming up. We have people who have suffered loss over the past weeks, months, and even year. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort them, that your peace would be with them. Lord, may we love them as a body. May we come together in love and in compassion. Father, you are the good shepherd and we need you. And Lord, no matter what we're going through, we need the good shepherd to come alongside us. We need to remember, we can't do this. I'm not sufficient to this task. I can't do this myself. We need the Spirit of God to lead and to guide us. And so I ask, Father, that you would remind us of this. Help us to remember our acceptance and our identity in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
If you have Bibles, I would invite you to turn in them. If you've been with us, you're expecting me now to say to the book of Romans. But between now and Easter time, this is the time on the church calendar that is known as Lent. And for those of you who are not aware, Lent is a period historically of 40 days that symbolized the fasts of Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And so we are going to be looking at a series, and I'm going to be taking various passages through Luke's gospel that I call Encounters with Jesus. And they're basically snapshots of Jesus' life. And while we don't follow the church calendar in a way that I would call legalistically, it is a discipleship tool that helps us to structure our Christian life and teaches us things like repentance and putting to death our sins and following Jesus, issues of discipleship during this Lenten season that culminates in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for the next several weeks, we will be looking at different areas, different snapshots of Jesus' life, ministry, and work, where he triumphed over the devil in the wilderness. And we'll look at his glory in the transfiguration. We'll look at the reality of judgment and the triumph of grace. And finally, as he enters his city, Jerusalem, in order to undergo his final cosmic battle with the devil on the cross and his ultimate victory in the resurrection and the promise of the hope of a new world. As I've been saying, resurrection gets the final word. But the pattern, and we have to learn the pattern, is suffering and then glory. Too often, very practically in the Christian life, we want heaven now. You know, and there's a reason we are called to search our hearts with all vigilance. So much of our Christian life is about demanding the desiring heaven, that's fine. Demanding it now might be outside the sovereignty of God. And so Lent is a period of time of reflection. It's a period of time of confession, a period of time of repentance, a period of time leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite commentators is a man by the name of N.T. Wright, and he put it this way. He said, Lent is a time for discipline, for confession, for honesty, not because God is mean or enjoys finding fault or points his finger, but because he wants us to know the joy of being cleansed, of being ready for all the good things that he now has in store. And so now, this year during Lent, we are going to be looking at encountering the real Jesus, his person, his redemptive work, leading up to the culmination in his death and resurrection. And this morning, see if you've had that for a bit of an introduction, you're ready for me to read out of Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. This morning, it's Jesus' confrontation in the wilderness at the hands of the devil. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, 
to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Friends, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would show us Jesus and that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the glorious riches of your inheritance together with the saints, and the mighty working of your power, your resurrection power that is at work within us. That was like when you raised Jesus from the dead and have put all things under his feet. Open the eyes of our heart that we'd be filled with hope, even as we see how we have to battle in life, how we go through temptation, how we walk through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Holy Spirit, may you be our teacher. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to go a little old school with you. When I was growing up, and you know, I turned 61 yesterday. Okay, so yes, getting older. I know some of you are still looking at me and going, Jeff, you're just a kid. And that makes me feel so much better because I don't feel like just a kid. Okay, but when I was growing up, one of my favorite television shows was the old Batman show. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, whatever they do, Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer and whoever plays Batman in the movies. I'm talking Adam West and Burt Ward on the TV screen, the little TV. Some of you are nodding your head. Remember this? And I would love how Batman and Robin would get in some sort of predicament. Some of you are going to have to look. You're young enough. You're going to have to look this up on YouTube later. Okay? But now for the rest of us that are remembering with me, okay, Batman and Robin would get themselves in some sort of predicament where you would think there's no way they're getting out of it. It is helpless. It is hopeless. And then all of a sudden they'd come and then they would have some sort of big fight with the bad guys. And this was my favorite part because across the TV screen it would go, bam, kaplooey, whack. They would do that. And Batman would win. The Batmobile would come out. It'd be the end of the story. The hero wins again. And I'd be like, wow. I want to be like Batman when I grow up. Now remember, I was like, this is like 1969. I was like seven years old. We all, don't we love superhero movies? Don't we love to have our heroes? But here's the thing, and Tim Keller likes to say this. He talks about, if you look at most action movies, the players and characters, the heroes in these, are typically one-dimensional cartoon characters. Yes, that's Batman. One-dimensional cartoon characters. They're simple and one-dimensional. And as a result, yes, they're heroes on the screen, but there's no real engagement, no real relationship with them. But he says instead, the God of the Bible manifested, revealed, 
in the incarnate Jesus, the Word become flesh. The God of the Bible is complex. He is Father. He is Friend. He is King. He is Lover. He is Judge. He is Glory Himself, all at the same time. And we get into trouble when we choose one over the other, or one at the expense of any of the others. You lose personal engagement, and you don't have the biblical God. And yet this is what most of us tend to do. We want a one-dimensional God that loves us, but never says no. Or we're stern, you know? And we've been like, yeah, my God's holy and disciplined. And we've never heard of compassion or empathy. The biblical God is all of these things. When you only have one part of this, you actually avoid encountering the real God. And you avoid relationship with him. Luke is confronting us with the complex, multidimensional son of God, the Messiah. Fully God and fully human. 100% God and 100% man the Lord of all peoples. And one of the themes that we will encounter as we go through this series on encountering Jesus is what theologians have called the theme of Christus Victor, or the victory of Christ. And that is understanding the work of Christ from the specific vantage point of a cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the forces of of darkness. In other words, looking at Jesus' person and work, his redemptive ministry, seen through the prism of spiritual warfare. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Jesus as the solution to the problem of Adam. When the gar- in the garden the serpent came in and he tempted and seduced and was victorious over the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. Here's Jesus as the second Adam being victorious over the devil. The Gospels present the public ministry of Jesus as bracketed in the beginning and at the end by Jesus' battles with the devil, the ruler of this world, beginning with the temptations in the wilderness and culminating in the final battle on the cross. And here we have not simply a hero, not simply a Batman or a Spider-Man or a Superman, but we have the superhero that we all need, the superhero that is our hope. And according to this passage in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is a hero in at least two respects. He is our transcendent hero, and yet he is a very personal, relatable hero. He is a transcendent hero, and he is a relatable hero. First of all, a transcendent hero. Look at the opening verses of our text, and they read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing. He fasted during those days. And when they were ended, here we get what a picture of his humanity. He was hungry. After coming out of the wilderness, Jesus begins his public ministry in the power of the Spirit. Friends, do you recognize we can't do this thing called life by ourselves? Zechariah chapter 4 says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. We can't do one thing. Husbands, you can't love your wives. 
grandparents, you can't love your grandchildren. As much as we think, oh, we can enjoy them, we can do all this, you can't love them biblically. According to things like 1 Corinthians 13, you can't do anything. There's a reason Jesus said in John chapter 15, when he's imploring us to abide in him and he will abide in us, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's Jesus, the Son of Man, baptized and the Spirit descends on him like a dove and he's led into the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And so the temptations now which follow show Jesus being led by spirit, the Spirit into the wilderness. And again, we have to understand what that means contextually. The wilderness or the desert is a place of nothingness, a place of emptiness. It is not like a beautiful walk. It's not like a hike in the mountains or a walk in the forest or a walk where you go, oh, look at the deer. Don't they look good? There's Bambi taking a drink of water by the brook. There's it's such a peaceful. That is not the biblical wilderness. The biblical wilderness is a dangerous place. It is arid. It is lonely. It is isolated. It is empty. It is a place of nothingness. And that is what our current life in this world, that's why the Lord's prayer is, thy will be done on earth, because earth is a wilderness as it is in heaven. And the mission and ministry of the church is to display tastes of the life of heaven on earth, to give that hope to each other and to other people. One commentator put it simply, he said, with the devil's slanderous accusations, if you are the son of God, he is trying to seduce Jesus into distrusting, forsaking, or misusing his sonship as the aim of the temptations. And see, here's the transcendence of Jesus as our hero, as our superhero, seen here as Jesus is fulfilling his role as the Messiah, identifying with us, taking the temptations that are common to us and facing them himself. He is being our substitute here, not only in death, but in his life. He is doing this identifying with us. We're seeing him in his role as Messiah, beloved son, the climax of the story of the Old Testament. We see echoes of Adam and Eve in the garden where the serpent whispered plausible lies about God, distorting who God is. And here's the serpent, here's the devil, doing the same thing to Jesus. And what do we see here? Jesus succeeding where Adam and Eve failed. Jesus succeeding where Israel failed. This is our transcendent hero, fighting our battle. You realize we need somebody who doesn't, we don't need a coach who sent, sorry, Lou, no offense, <laughs> but we don't, I like being a coach too, but we don't need a coach. You know what a coach does? A coach inspires you. A coach says, you can do it, get out there. We need a substitute. We need somebody who gets out on the field for us, faces our enemies, and fights our battle for us. That's Jesus the Messiah, the transcendent hero. But look with me what's next. See, if he was only a transcendent hero, he's far off. And can we relate to him? 
How practical is he? How real is he if he's only son of God, far off, glory and all that? But he's also a relatable hero. Look at the specific temptations. And the text says the devil said to him, and notice what the devil does in every one of these temptations. He's getting him to question his identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. You know what that really means? In his humanity, he's tempting him, basically saying, are you sure this is who you are? That can't be your real identity. That's not who you are. That's the devil's schemes all the time in our life. A real Christian wouldn't do that. If you were a good pastor, you'd be able to meet everybody's needs. If you were this, you'd be able to do this. If you were a good mother or father, you wouldn't have this. If you had friends, don't be unaware of, of Satan's schemes. Anything that smells of accusation is not from the Spirit of God. It is from the pits of hell. The devil is a slanderer and an accuser and the father of lies. The Spirit of God will be the gentle, tender voice, yes, convicting you of sin, telling you you can be more faithful there. But he will never do it accusing you that you don't measure up, accusing you if you are. But here is Jesus taking the specific temptation, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is a very human hero. And this makes him very relatable. Each of these temptations concerns itself with a very human area of life. Every one of us needs and deals with issues of food, satisfaction, status, power, image, glory, importance, significance, every, and these are legitimate human needs. Scotty Smith is kind of a mentor of mine. I've looked up to him for many, many years. And Scotty Smith tells a story of a time where he was really struggling in life. And it was a pivotal moment in his life. And he was good friends with the counselor and the writer, Dan Allender. And Dan Allender challenged him in what he called a very, very loving way. And he says, this, this is the kind of friend you need. And Dan Allender said as to Scotty, as long as your cry for relief is louder than your cry for a changed heart, you're not going to grow. You're not going to get healthy. Every temptation that we're tempted in is a cry for relief. And if your cry for relief, I need to be, I'm empty, I need to be filled now. I'm lonely, I need to have relationship now. 
If your cry for relief is louder than your cry, make me like Jesus. Holiness is that I would display, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Holiness, make me like the one who the fruit of the Spirit, the personality of Jesus, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Friends, what do you cry louder for? Relief or a Christ-like heart? Relief or practical holiness? See, look at the first temptation, commanding the stone to become bread. See, Jesus is a true man. He must eat bread. We need that. Our Father knows we need that. But here's Jesus. Look what he does. He turns to the Word of God. Specifically here, Deuteronomy chapter 8, where he says, man does not live by bread alone. We need it, but we need more than that. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Let me try to be as practical as I can here. See, how does Jesus, and thus how do, how do we in Jesus, through him as our substitute, handle temptation? Part of Jesus being a relatable hero is he's actually celebrating humanity, redeeming and restoring humanity to its created purpose of service and dignity. He calls on scripture, quoting from Deuteronomy, and he says, our physical needs are important, they're essential, but we don't live by them alone. And here's the practical question for us then. Who and what voice are we primarily listening to? Whose word are you functionally listening to? Whose word are you living by? Whose word are you obeying? What voice, what authority is controlling you? The issue here is in our emptiness. The wilderness world is empty. What is it you look to to fill you? Do you look to the voice of God and the word of God? Or are you living your life escaping? Whether it's golf, boating, TV, social media, friendships, family, relationships. Have we ever thought about, here's a Lenten suggestion, have we ever thought about fasting, so to speak, from escapism? What we look to, to, es to escape. Could you fast from golf? Could you fast from boating? Could you fast from Fox News? Could you fast from whatever it is that you look to? Jesus says man does not live by bread alone. We need that. Your Father knows we need that. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second temptation has to do with the issue of authority and glory. And the devil here cannot deliver what he promises. The devil claims authority and glory. And Jesus does say in the gospel, the gospel of John specifically, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. God in his sovereignty has given a measure of authority to the devil. Under his sovereignty, the devil has given a glory and authority over the fallen world, a world whose glory is doomed. And again, here's Jesus, as the devil is saying, if you're the son of God, he answers this temptation by quoting again from Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, saying, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
See, we need to recognize the character of God. God loves to give away his glory. Why did he create the world in the first place? Do you think God had a need? No. Love is all about sharing and giving. And God created the world to love and share the enjoyment of his glory. That's the point of the catechism question. The chief end of man is to glory, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Because God created us because he knew he would build us, that he would share his love and glory with us, and we would enjoy him. That's what a creature is meant to do. He loves to give his glory, but when we worship and serve, and the two of those always go hand in hand, any other God, we are trying to be like God, usurping his authority. Sound familiar like the original garden? We are deceived trying to have a greater glory, a greater authority, a greater power or control over our lives and our circumstances. And finally, the third temptation. And here, as one writer says, and we have to pay very careful attention to the details, because the text tells us that he brought Jesus to Jerusalem. And as one commentator said, the location of this last temptation in Jerusalem suggests an allusion to the passion. From this moment on, Jesus' life will be a journey to Jerusalem, where he will face again the temptation to abandon his vocation as Christ, the Son of God. See, friends, I want you to think about the overall story of God. Think of its narrative. Think of its narrative arc. Where did it begin? It began in a garden. And then, of course, when Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden, it went to a wilderness. And then back to a garden called Gethsemane, where Jesus will once again face a test to abandon his vocation. Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And of course, what was that cup? That was the cup of God's judgment, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's punishment, righteous indignation and righteous wrath for our sin. And Jesus not abandoning his vocation, says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We need to recognize that even though Jesus is our relatable hero, he is tempted in areas like satisfaction, taking control, status, image, where we are also. There is also a part that's not relatable, that's unique to Jesus alone. We have to recognize, as one commentator put it, the temptation of Jesus by the devil foreshadows the conflict of the passion and the victor, victory of the cross. Remember, this is the Christus Victor theme. Already the triumph is anticipated, although it comes in a way that one might not expect. Jesus' battle and complete victory over the devil in the passion and resurrection is one of the great themes of his life, giving rise to the Christus Victor expression of the gospel. But the devil is subtle, and he sees that his chance for victory lies in tempting Jesus to bypass the cross and reach for glory now. Each temptation attempts this. Fill your belly now. Worship me, and the kingdoms of the earth will be yours. Throw yourself down from the temple. Had Jesus succumbed to any of these temptations, he would have reversed the order of the kingdom, placing glory before suffering whereas the entire rhythm of his life was just the opposite. Suffering must precede 
glory. Now, of course, the unrelatable, unrepeatable aspect of Jesus' vocation was the cross, the passion, what he did for us to redeem and restore us. But friends, trying to be as practical as I can here, we have to recognize that when we are tested, when we are tempted, when we are afflicted, when life is not going our way, when we're not getting what we want, when we're struggling beyond what we can handle, we need to remember that the rhythm of life is not any different from us than it was for Jesus. That the pattern of life is a cruciform pattern. pattern the cross is unrepeatable, but the pattern, a student is not above his teacher. A servant is not above his master. The pattern for Jesus will be the pattern for us. Suffering first and then glory. Death first and then resurrection. This is why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. It's an evangelistic message different than what we hear today, right? Jesus is inviting people to follow him. This is Jesus' evangelistic message. And it doesn't sound like, accept me into your heart and I'll be your co-pilot. If anyone would come after me, let him take, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means pattern your life after mine, death first and then resurrection. He who will save his life, and there are all sorts of ways we save our lives. We protect our reputation. We fill our lives. We look for heaven now. We look for fullness now. All those ways. He who will save his life will lose it. But he who will lose his life for my sake, who loves even when you're not loved in return, who loves his enemies even when his enemies hate you. He who will lose his life for my sake. He who does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The promise is you gain real life. It's like Jack Miller always liked to say. You know, Jack Miller had all the cheer up lines. Jack Miller would say, cheer up, you're a whole lot worse than you think. And then he would say, cheer up, friends. You are so far loved than you could ever dare dream or imagine. And we kind of wish he would stop there, right? But he has one more. He says, cheer up. Come and die. It's a great way to come to life. The pattern is suffering, then glory. Death, then resurrection. That's discipleship. If anyone would follow me, it's quite the invitation, right? Let him deny himself, divorce yourself from yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And it is a great way to come to life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is our superhero. Thank you that Jesus is the one who fights our battle for us, which is one of the reasons we die to ourselves. We give up the battle. We go, Jesus, I can't do it. Jesus, I don't have what it takes. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not able enough. We don't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We don't help ourselves. We let you fight our battles. We die to ourselves and let you live. Father, teach us how to do this. Help us to encourage each other to do this. May we be a church 
that makes the main thing the main thing, the glory of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together to God be the glory. I want you to know that by definition, those who are in Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, are those that God's smile is upon. By definition, if you're in Christ, God's favor is upon you. That is called the blessing of God. So I want you to open your hands like this to receive the Lord's blessing, which is what the word benediction means. And so now, friends, receive the Lord's benediction that you may go from here to be a blessing to others. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.